Hello, I'm H.D. Chambers, uh, and this is Impact Ed. I serve as the superintendent of schools for ALEAF ISD, and I want to welcome our listeners and viewers uh, to, to this uh, this week's episode. It's a uh, obviously a timely episode. It seems like every week you can talk about COVID, and it's a timely it's a timely topic. Uh, but I am honored and uh, and excited to be joined today by uh, Dr. Maria Rivera, uh, who works with Harris County Public Health under the Chronic Disease Prevention area. And I'll let her talk a little bit more about that. We're going to spend 45 minutes or so talking about uh, the virus, uh, where it is today as we as we sit here this week. Everything about it seems to change every day in terms of numbers and, and concerns and what, what physicians like Dr. Rivera are learning about it. Hopefully this is helpful for, for students, for, for our staff, for parents who listen to this, and for all those uh, listeners and viewers that watch this, uh, the Impact Ed podcast. So, Dr. Rivera, thank you for being with me today. I, I know you're busy, and but I hope we find this useful. I hope you find it helpful to the, to the county by trying to get some of the, the messaging that you guys have been trying to get out since this all started. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Let's let's talk. Uh, and like like we've talked before, uh, Dr. Rivera and I and, and other superintendents across the area and other members of the Harris County Public Health team have been in constant contact. We've been in communication since, I mean, going all the way back to April and May, talking about uh, the role the county could play with, with school systems, and not just school systems, but obviously uh, across the community. Let's talk a little bit about the status and the state of where we are, and maybe talk a little bit about the facts as the as the medical field sees them versus some perceptions or versus some things that that are always percolating and circulating out there. So maybe just kind of start there and we'll talk about things like the variant and vaccines and things that are on people's minds as well. But let's start with a, an overview of, of where you see the world right now. Yeah. So we're in a really, we're in a really interesting place right now, right? We've been in this pandemic for almost a, almost a year now, or a little bit um, over a year now when it was first um, discovered in Wuhan, China and almost a year since it was first, since we first learned about SARS-CoV-2 or the virus that causes COVID-19 here in Harris County in our community. And in some ways, it's felt like a really short period of times. In some ways, it's felt like the longest, the longest year of our lives. And, a long year, yeah. And um, I think right now in Harris County, we're in what we're calling our third wave. And so we have definitely over the last couple of months, um, starting around late November, early December, really started to see an increase in cases in the community, an increase in the positivity rate or the number of tests that were positive, the number of hospitalizations, both in our general hospitals hospital beds and in our ICU, all of those numbers started climbing. And that compounded with some of the holidays, the Thanksgiving holidays, the Christmas holidays, I think were also the perfect storm to increase the numbers. And this is something that's not just being seen in Harris County, but obviously being seen across the country and even in many other countries around the world. And what's interesting is that at the same time as all that was happening is when we finally got the vaccine. So we finally got the first two vaccines to be approved by the FDA, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. And we're trying really hard, I think, throughout the country and at the county and just as a community to decrease the rates of transmission transmission in the community at the same time as we're trying to roll out the vaccine. And so it's a really interesting time. I think it's it's good that we're finally starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine, but unfortunately, we're still, we're right now, at least in Harris County, at some of the 
highest number of cases that we've had and experienced throughout the pandemic, the highest transmission rates, and just really concerning numbers. At the same time, just throughout the community are still unfortunately seeing uncontrolled community spread. You use the term community like a half a dozen times. And inside the the community are are schools, right? I mean, we're in many cases uh, kind of the hubs of a lot of communities, uh, along with churches and neighborhoods and things of that nature. Superintendents uh, across the Houston area that have the greater Houston area who you have had chances to talk to, you know, like myself. One of the things that we've kind of held firm to, and, and and I think you would agree with this, is that I, I don't I don't want to say there's no spread in schools because that'd probably not be an honest statement. But that's not where you're seeing the spread. Is that correct? When we talk about surges and spread, it's when you say community, it it means the general community, whereas the schools are not as not as prone to be a super spreader as perhaps other types of community events. Would would you comment on that or? Yeah, I think that there was there have been around the country and around the world very big concerns as to whether schools could become hotspots, whether schools could be driving the pandemic, could be driving the community spread. And I think we've fortunately not seen that be the case, especially in the last couple of months in Harris County. We do know that cases still happen in schools and that's just because of the reflection of what's often happening in the community. So as as cases start going up and when we talk about the community, it's just the number of cases in the population as a whole. But as the number of cases go up in the entire population, then um, schools are not totally immune to that. But I think that we what we have really noticed is around around school kids and around teachers, a lot of the infection, as far as we as best as we can trace, because it's very hard to trace when there are so many cases kind of throughout different populations in different neighborhoods. But um, a lot of the transmission does seem to be happening when people are gathering without masks, when people are um, hosting parties, when certain students or team members are getting together and not socially distancing on uh, in certain events and things like that. And so I think we've luckily not seen what was concerning in the beginning to us was schools having to close down because of um, because of outbreaks or certain number of cases. And even though we've seen a couple of schools where that definitely has happened here or there, it hasn't been the norm for the majority of the schools. And I think that that's been really a testament to a lot of the safety measures that have been put in place by the schools. The message that I, I know that you and your colleagues are, have been attempting to to share and us in the school business have been trying to share with our staff, with our students and parents is that it doesn't really help in controlling the spread if you practice all of the protocols in school and then at the end of the school day, whether you're a student or a staff member or a parent, the remaining hours of the day and night, you, you don't or the weekends you don't. And that's one of the messages that I hope those that are listening to this, whether regardless of where your child attends school, if you're a parent, that we need cooperation. When I say we, the royal we, we need cooperation with helping control these outside of school activities or groups. And there's example after example of, of fatalities deriving from a family gathering. You know, there's, there, I mean, every person has read stories of went to a birthday party or to a a family gathering and two weeks later, you know, you've got some of your family members on a, on a ventilator in a hospital. Part of the reason for this conversation is for you to be able to share from the, the county health perspective that it is important to not just practice these things in their schools because we seem 
as a general rule, the schools seem to be fairly safe. You mentioned earlier the vaccine. You know, there, there's two things on teachers' minds. I can, I can just about tell you. One is the, their safety. Obviously, they're they're nervous. They're just scared. But they continue to come to work every day, just like first line healthcare uh, professionals. But there's two things that typically on their mind. One is their safety. What are we doing to protect them? And then second, the vaccine. So you mentioned earlier you had these two colliding issues, the, the this third surge, and then okay, by the way, we're going to give you just a few samples of the vaccine. Talk about the vaccine and where the county is and things that you would like for the for the community and staff to know about the vaccine and where you are, at least right now. So Harris County Public Health received its first allotment of vaccine right before Christmas. Um, and this is what happened kind of throughout the county, a lot of the clinics, the hospitals. We all got it right before Christmas Eve and started the rollout as fast as possible. And There's a lot of confusion around the vaccine rollout, and the main question in a lot of people's mind is, when am I going to get it? When is it going to be my turn? And so I wanted to just spend a little bit of time talking about who we're vaccinating right now, kind of the speed that vaccination is happening, which is a little bit beyond our control and kind of where we hope to be. And so as of now, we we at Harris County Public Health and throughout the state follow the priority groups that the Texas Department of Health and Human Services dishes has has laid out for the prioritization of the vaccine. And so at this moment, we're only vaccinating two specific groups, those in tier 1A, which are healthcare workers. And as it relates to schools, this actually includes school nurses and school nurse aides, frontline um, healthcare providers in schools. And then the second group that we're vaccinating is tier 1B, which is anyone who's over the age of 65 or anyone who's over the age of 16 or 18, depending on which vaccine, um, that has an underlying chronic health condition that puts them at increased risk for severe COVID-19. And I think where the difficulty lies in the fact that just in those priority groups, just in the priority groups Tier 1A and Tier 1B within Harris County, we have an estimated of more than 2 million people. And at this point, the Texas as the entire state hasn't even received, has just received 1 million doses, and we finally just surpassed the 1 million doses for the entire state. But as you can imagine, if we have more than 2 million just for Harris County that need to be vaccinated, and we are typically, Methodist Hospital is one of the big the big hospitals that's vaccinating the Houston Health Department, us Harris County Public Health, we're receiving somewhere between 3,000 and 10,000 doses a week. The demand for vaccine right now is just much higher than the supply. And I think that's causing a lot of frustration, understandably so, because they're was this big push for the from the federal government to develop the vaccine as quickly as possible. And now the vaccine is here, but it's not accessible to everyone. And so I think that what we, the message that we're hoping um, to give to the community is that um, at least, and I can only speak specifically for Harris County Public Health, but that we are committed to try to get as many people vaccinated as fast as possible. We're delivering the vaccine as fast as we can to these prioritization groups and It will just come with a little bit of patience, I think, from all of us that we do have these limitations that are not specific to the county. They're not even specific to the state or to the country, but there's certain manufacturing issues or certain distribution issues. There hasn't been the best coordinated national immunization plan. And so as we kind of 
juggle all those different things. We are still committed to vaccinate as many people as we can, and we, we're definitely going to get there in the next couple of months. But it's just going to take a little bit more time and a little bit more coordination to really be able to do that, given the magnitude of Harris County being one of the largest counties in the country. Your number, just 2 million in the greater Houston area, or in Harris County, that, that qualify under 1A and 1B, and then the state of Texas, which has roughly 28 million people. Now, not all of them are eligible for for the vaccine right now. But yeah, I, I think what seems to be happening in the healthcare industry, I mean, the healthcare world with related to the, to the vaccine is just asking for patience and grace, which is kind of what educators have been asking for from parents as we started school. I mean, it's the same type of everyone's doing the best they can with what they have. I don't want to get into the political part of this. That's, this is not the reason for the question. And you and I both know we the rollout of it, meaning it seemed to me as a casual citizen that whenever the two vaccines now, Moderna and, and Pfizer, when those two were kind of announced and the build up to them being released to the general uh, healthcare providers, it seemed like there were going to be not one for everybody, but it seemed like there were going to be more available than what there is. And, you know, there's an old adage, you know, over almost like under hype and overperform so that people think you did better than, than you were expecting. Seems like the opposite happened here. Perhaps it was oversold and underperformed. Has that put you guys as a as an institution or as an entity that has that put you a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of your ability to deliver and the expectation perhaps that was out there in the general community? Yeah, I think that I think you're hitting the nail on the head with the expectation. I think that us at Harris County Public Health, we had originally been told and we were under the expectation that we were going to be kind of a safety net provider. We weren't going to be a primary vaccine. Um, delivery that, that that was going to kind of reside with the hospitals, the clinics, et cetera. But one thing and that I really credit our vaccine team here is that when we did receive our allotment, and the first allotment that we received was just a couple thousand doses. It was kind of a much smaller allotment than what the some of the hospital systems received, but they were we were really able to deliver it into really, really quickly into as many arms as possible. And I think what's been What's definitely been hard is that we completely understand the frustration that that people have, especially educators that are going into the classroom every single day. They feel like they're putting themselves at risk. They feel like they're in a priority group. So I'm in, I'm in this priority group. I'm in this tier one one B. Why can't I when why can I still get the vaccine? I think in in some ways we definitely have received. I think less vaccine than we were expecting at times. We're hoping that this will increase over the coming weeks and that we'll be able to reach more people. There definitely has been, I think when the federal government said that there was going to be 20 million doses that are going to be delivered by a certain date and we weren't able to do, to do that and deliver that, then obviously there's there's questions, there's frustrations that people have because there's those expectations were set so high. And I think to to the detriment, I think, of some of the local organizations, some of the hospital systems, that a lot of us are kind of reinventing the wheel. And so there because there isn't necessarily one playbook or one plan to follow, a lot of the health departments or a lot of clinics have kind of been left to just figure out logistically how to implement them on our on our own. But I think that even Governor Abbott yesterday was saying that Harris County and Harris County Public Health has been one of the most successful health departments, even across the country, delivering the vaccine because we have experienced delivering other types of vaccines and because our testing efforts especially have been 
so broad and successful, but that at the same time, we know that we have a wait list of many thousands of people that do qualify and could um, potentially receive the vaccine right now if we had it. We have a online registration tool that now is on the state website, so it's a public tool that whenever people go to it, it says no appointments, and that increases the frustration in any time that we release appointments. Like on this past weekend, we, we opened up 4,500 appointments, and they were gone in less than two hours. I think in some ways, it's great that we're seeing seeing a lot of people that want the vaccine because we are also concerned about vaccine hesitancy. And we definitely know that some people are hesitant to to get the vaccine. And we do worry that right now we're seeing a really increased demand and people are really excited and want to get the vaccine. But that once we kind of get through all that people, we do worry that the, there is a group of people that is really hesitant that doesn't want to get the that doesn't want to get the vaccine. And so I think it's important to remember that group too, and to right. um, and we can talk a little bit about where that hesitancy is coming from and some of the things that we would love for them to to hear. Let's talk about that because there's there's a lot of people, and I'll include myself. I'm not hesitant. I, I'll take it when I'm when I get an appointment. But yeah, there's always question about and have been and continues to be questions about how rapidly the vaccine was created and how quickly it came versus you know a, a typical vaccine process which takes years and years. Talk about that just a little bit from a from a from, again. This is your professional perspective and as a physician and someone who's been doing this and dealing with public health. Uh, I think it's important for the community to hear this, whether they agree or disagree or. Everyone is entitled to choose and, and make their own decisions, obviously. And I'm not, I'm not here, and I please, I want people that are watching and listening to this to understand I'm not encouraging anyone. I'm not trying to talk anyone into, into anything. But I am open to listening to sides of, of why people have concerns or those who do not. Anyway, I just want to kind of clarify that we're not here to try to convince someone of something they don't believe in. But the facts are the facts, and I'd, I'd like to get those facts out. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely, I completely agree with that, um, that the the information and the science is important to just to just know and for everyone to just be able to make an informed decision that's what's right for them or for their family. Right. And so in terms of um, the speed, that's definitely something that's that's on a lot of people's mind and that makes a lot of people nervous, um, especially when if you're a little bit distrustful of public agencies or kind of government in general, like how how did this happen so fast? Yeah. Um, and I think there's three there's three main things. I mean, there's multiple things, but I think there's three main things that that really happened that really um, helped get us here. The first is that even though the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are a new vaccine technology and that they're the first mRNA vaccines that have been FDA approved, they're not the first mRNA vaccines, period. This is a technology that's been in development for many years, um, over 20 years, it's been used in, can in cancer therapies and it's been used with other viruses as well. It just happens that they, for whatever reason, previously, those vaccines just weren't that successful. It wasn't that they were um, unsafe, it's that they just weren't that efficacious. They weren't as good as preventing the viruses. There was a lot of research that was already kind of in process that, um, especially with SARS in general, with the, the main SARS virus, that allowed for this the science of this vaccine to really be implemented a little bit more quickly. And so within that science, it was also it also so happened that the gene sequencing of this virus, so kind of all the different genes of the virus, happened really, really early on in the pandemic in China. And often that's something that can just stay in a lab and that it's never shared, but they but it was purposefully kind of that genomic sequencing was purposefully 
released and given to the rest of the world. And for the one of the only times in really, our, I think a lot of our life, the all the science, like multiple scientists from all over the world came together for one specific goal. And so that was another thing that really allowed it to at least start up quicker. The second is um, money. So there is a ton of developing vaccines is very, very expensive. And often vaccines aren't the they're not the recipients of, of the biggest grants often. And because of this global pandemic, the development of the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine to prevent COVID-19 um, it, from multiple different organizations has received a tremendous amount of funding. And so with that tremendous amount of funding, then you can just hire more people, you can move more quickly, and just allows for just quicker development because of that. You don't have to be applying. Often you have to apply for grants. It takes uh, several months to apply. It takes then several months to receive the money for the grants to then fund these trials. But the funding was essentially just there. And so that cut that cut a significant amount of time. And that ties into just the bureaucracy piece of it. So there's just... For every for the development of every vaccine, there's certain paperwork that has to be filled out. There's certain committees that it has to go through. And what's happened with the COVID-19 vaccines is that some of that part has been cut down. And so there's always three different trials, three different phases that any vaccine has to go through uh, before FDA approval. And all of the vaccines, all the COVID-19 vaccines are going through that same exact rigorous process. But some of the bureaucratic stuff kind of in the middle is the part that's been able to be shortened. Um, and the other part of it is that in in some cases, you can only start a phase two trial when you've already completed a phase one trial, or you can only start a phase three trial when you've already completed completed a phase two trial. This is not the first treatment where it's happened, where you actually can start multiple trials um, before you've completed the, first, the, the earliest phase. But for this vaccine, that's one thing that happened. And so it was able to just be completed a little bit quicker. And then the third is just, just general human interest in the fact that we needed and wanted a vaccine that often it takes months and months or even years to get enough volunteers to get into these trials. And for the COVID-19 vaccines, it was much easier to get volunteers because there were much more willing participants. And so if you can imagine, sometimes it might take you a full year to get 40,000 people to participate in a trial with the COVID-19 vaccines, that timeline was shortened as well. And so because of funding, because of people being willing, because of the sharing of information, those are like the, the three main things that I like to highlight. That just made it happen a lot faster, but the actual science, the actual um, rigor, the safety testing, all of that, that was all the same as for every other vaccine. But because of all these other factors, it was just able to um, be developed in the probably the fastest that a vaccine has ever been developed. That is a very helpful explanation. Again, whether people buy it or not, that's that's one thing. But it, on a lot of levels, it makes sense. The previous administration, you know, former President Trump and the administration did talk about uh, removing the red tape. With your second example, I'm sure there's a lot of ton of bureaucracy that has really nothing to do with the health, the process of creating a vaccine. Perhaps a lesson that our current administration and future administrations can learn is to eliminate some of that bureaucracy or perhaps. And I'm, that part of it as a citizen probably frustrates us more than anything, right? And for sure on your end, because you're, you're sitting there taking the brunt of the 
the concern from the community about about the problem and it and it's out of your hands. That was a very helpful explanation, and I hope our our listeners and viewers found that to be to be helpful. But all in all, I, you know, to wrap the vaccine component of this conversation up, I think it's important for for everyone to understand the county is doing everything they can. I, I was told I think it was yesterday that the county, I think maybe Dr. Rivera, you mentioned at any given time yesterday, y'all had about five thousand vaccines, two million people that need that need it. So. Uh, I'm not a math major, but that that that's not gonna that's not gonna work. Uh, but hopefully, people are better understanding of the vaccine, and by the time they watch or listen to this, things may be better. We're, we're hoping things will be better, and that you guys would have been supplied with more uh, product to meet the demand. When I first heard about it, I said, "Oh my gosh, not again!" Uh, the UK variant, the UK variant, and uh, this different strain of of the virus, and talk about that a little bit, and and perhaps from a f- factual perspective as best you can versus people's perceptions or concerns that are out there. What what do we need to know about that right now as we sit here today uh, in Harris County? Yeah, so I think that there is um, several things that we need to keep in mind. The first is that it's unfortunately something that happens. Viruses mutate and different strains will will appear in this, and it's not uncommon for this to happen, and it may continue to happen, unfortunately. And the UK variant, or B1117, what we know so far, we're calling it the UK variant because it was identified for the first time in the UK, and there was a mutation of a specific part of the virus that, as what's happening now, or what we are noticing is happening, is that it made the virus more infectious, meaning that it makes it easier for it to be transmitted, and but it doesn't necessarily, it isn't necessarily leading to more severe infection. So even though more people are getting infected, as far as we know, those people that get infected with the new variant don't necessarily get sicker. They just, but more people do get infected. And so more, more you're more likely to get it, exactly. right? You're more likely to get sick. Okay. Exactly. You're more likely to get it if you're just, if two people are in a room and either one of you are wearing masks, if you're, if that person, one of the people is infected with the new variant, they're more likely to pass it on to the other than if it were the previous variant. The implications of that is that it we think it's causing a lot of the surges that we're seeing. It's definitely causing the surge in the UK. We can't definitively say that it's causing the surge in the United States or in Harris County, but we do know that it has been identified in Harris County and multiple experts and the CDC just put out a statement last week that we think it's going to become the dominant strain or the strain that's going to be the most common um, probably by March. And just because it it is more infectious and it basically in virus terms it's just better at like if the goal is to infect more people it's just better at infecting more people and so it would it will most likely kind of drown out some of the other strains as far as we know so far the vaccine is still still works against this new strain which is great news and as we said it doesn't it doesn't seem to cause more severe illness but what it means what it means for us as a community is that all those different measures that I know that even us in public health we're kind of really tired about having to follow like being away from our family and friends wearing a mask everywhere we go keeping our distance um, washing our hands and using hand sanitizer till our hands are raw Um, all of those different measures are even more important now than before because we know that there's a a virus that is even better at becoming infectious, but where we know that these different measures can still prevent the the transmission. It just means that we need to be continue to be cautious, 
be even more cautious than where we were. Um, and I have joked with HD before that we, you know, when we first learned about um, coronavirus back in the spring and everything, the whole world kind of went on lockdown, we were taking the most number of precautions that we have in this whole pandemic. Like a lot of us were even like cleaning our groceries or uh, like doing all these different yeah. things. And right now we're actually at much higher number of cases. We're at a much higher positivity rate. Um, we have a more infectious strain and um, we're not doing a lot of those things that we that we were doing in the yeah. beginning. And it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've been in this for so long. Um, people are tired and human nature is kind of understandable. And human beings are also in, in studies of Joan, we're just really terrible at judging risk. Like we're not good at judging right, what our, right. what, like what the risk is for us to catch certain things. And we may think that getting together with our four family members that have no symptoms, but that leave, live in multiple households and, um, that seem to be pretty safe that getting together with them isn't going to cause any issues, but what we're seeing is time and time again um, right now in Harris County is that a lot of the transmission is happening in those small gatherings and those small gatherings at home um, of people getting together with their friends, with their family. And with this new variant, it's going to be even more important to kind of hold steady, avoid those gatherings, keep wearing our masks if we're going to gather, keep, keep maintaining our distance because it's going to be so much easier for the virus to infect others and to be transmitted throughout our community. It's almost as if we treated this seriously at the beginning. I mean, it was serious, but it wasn't as profound as it is now. And as the worse it got, the less serious we treated it. I say we, community members, society is a general rule. Yeah. I think the, the, the health industry and those who took it serious have continued to take it serious. But, yeah, it, our attention span for anything is not very long, including a virus, <laughs> including a pandemic. We, our society will give a pandemic about a month, and after that we're over it. It's time to <laughs> it's time to move on. And I, I don't mean to be flippant about that or, or make light of that, but, but that there's some truth to that. Your comment about our ability to judge risks – and calculate risks. Uh, I think the older one gets, perhaps that improves a little bit. But for our younger generation, uh, we were all bulletproof, virus-proof, if you will. You know, and I think those watching this and listening to this, I, I have found that people early on who weren't nearly as worried about the virus, who are now worried about it, they're typically worried because they have a family member or a close friend or someone close to them that either got really sick or. God forbid, passed away. Then it got real. Then it got real. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes that for people to uh, to recognize it. So the variant itself, I thought, when I, like I said, to start this little segment, I said, well, when I saw that, I said, oh, my gosh, now we have to go through an entire new vaccine process. That was just my wheel spinning. So far, fingers crossed, knock on wood, all, the, all that, uh, we, we, we seem to be uh, okay with that in terms of the, the vaccine. Just the last couple of minutes, Dr. Rivera, for teachers, yeah, for teachers, but for any uh, adult who works in a school setting, because we've got teachers, we have bus drivers driving buses, we have nutrition workers feeding children, we have principals, administrators, counselors, custodians, you name it. Tran I'm going I'm to leave somebody out in a little bit. You had mentioned earlier our nurses. Those are our frontline essential workers, if you will, in healthcare. I met with ours earlier today on a Zoom meeting just to thank them. In our final minutes, would you perhaps – talk a little bit about and about the role the school nurses played and for our teachers and staff members on campuses just kind of reassuring what what is happening so 
so that they have some reassurances, not that it's going to satisfy them and, and make them. I'm really concerned and have been concerned about obviously their physical health, but also just the way they, they approach their life, both their personal and their professional life and how this has impacted them. So maybe a few comments on that and we'll we'll wrap this up. Yeah, I think um, the first is as a physician in the county, as a local health authority, and as a parent, just thank you for everything that you're doing as an educator, um, as a school nurse, as a bus driver, as a custodian, um, as an administrator, everything. We really have been in awe of the education community and how everyone has really rallied together for our children, for our families. I think that we've learned over the last couple of months through the pandemic that if we really stick to some of those safety measures that we keep talking about that seem so basic of wearing your mask, washing your hands, keeping your distance, that we really can prevent transmission of COVID-19 in our classrooms and in our homes. And so, as we had mentioned earlier, just as just as um, there are many different strict measures that are in schools that have helped kept the number of cases in schools down, don't forget to make sure that you're still taking all those precautions at home, taking all those precautions with your families, that taking all those precautions with your friends, because we are seeing more and more staff members and teachers that are getting infected outside of the schools, and we don't want that to continue to happen. We want to make sure that you all are kept safe. We know that many, many, probably even more than half of school staff and educators fall in this 1B category. We know that school nurses fall in this 1A category, and Harris County Public Health really acknowledges that. We acknowledge that you all are in the front line as well, that you are essential workers, that you're putting yourselves in in some risk, right, when you're when you're going to to work and there's potentially children or other staff members in the classroom that are infected or that you don't know if they're infected and you're doing that because you're passionate about the work that you do and you want to continue to educate and serve the children and our families and our community. And so just know that we recognize that. We will continue to support that. And if there's anything that we can do to help you feel safer in the classrooms, we also have a really amazing team of epidemiologists and other experts that are more than willing to answer questions and provide support. And we know that especially with Mr. Chambers and at ALE, that they're really dedicated to trying to keep the environment as safe as possible for both students and staff. And so we're hoping that we can get the vaccine to you all as fast as fast as we can to everyone that qualifies and then just everyone in general, all our all our school staff. And even though it's really hard just to kind of hold steady and just know that know that we're really mindful of everything that you're doing and really, really thankful. So thank you. That is appreciated. And it like President Biden is talking about this this is gonna take all of us. And as much as some people expect, you know, either the federal government or even the state government to solve some of our problems. The problems get solved at the local level, and in many cases, they get created at the local level. Uh, so this is one of those things where we're all going to have to work together. And 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 for the most part, I think that has occurred. I think going all the way back to March twelfth, or that day will be imprinted in my mind. That's when we shut schools down. But we'll keep working together. We'll keep uh, doing everything we can do on the uh, on the school side of things. For those watching and listening in in, in this greater Houston area. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.3 million children are school-aged. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 95,000 teachers and another 100,000 support staff, bus drivers. Again, the, 
all the think of the school, think of all the adults in the school. So we've got roughly two hundred thousand adults and one point three million four through eighteen, nineteen year olds. Roughly fifty to sixty percent of them are in school now and thirty five, forty percent are still at home. So Dr. Rivera, we could talk about a lot of these issues. We're gonna come back and revisit as things move on. We're sitting here on uh, on Wednesday, January twentieth. I'm sure by the time some people listen or watch this, it's going to things are going to have changed and we apologize if, if what we're talking about now has already changed by then. But we will come back and revisit this. I, I think this would be a helpful conversation as we move forward just to keep people informed and, and updated on the information. But, again, thank you and, and to, to the Harris County Public Health team. Please let uh, Dr. Nago and others know that we, we appreciate you all and, and everything you've tried to do to support us. Thank you all for being such great partners. All right. Take care. Stay safe and uh, take care of that little girl, that three-year-old. <laughs> This has been Impact Ed. Uh, I'm H.D. Chambers. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, hopefully, you f- hopefully you found it uh, informative and helpful, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. This has been an AMP production.